in the Old Testament, the armies of God, the Israeli people would march into battle, but they would not just march into battle equipped and ready and trained, but they'd march into battle with the worshipers in front. Now, why were the worshipers in front? The worshipers were in front because the celebratory praise of God brought a victory in their life that they could not get from simply swinging their own sword. It becomes necessary for us to recognize that our worship, our praise, our celebration is an act of war against the enemy. It's a weapon of our warfare. And some of you are like, I've been swinging my sword when all you had to do was open your mouth. All you had to do was move your feet. Well, Pastor Wren, I don't dance very well. God never gave an instruct. In fact, we know that David danced undignified and his wife was embarrassed. I'm guessing to say he wouldn't have passed on America's Got Talent. I saw a video of Noel in Branson and he was getting his dance on. There it is. I was like, I don't know what this is. And at first I'm like, at first, I was like, oh, no, don't, don't, oh, no, don't have the moves. He don't have the moves. In fact, I would say he, he has the moves like Jagger. He has the moves. You guys think that's a complimentary song, but go watch the video of Mick Jagger dancing in the streets. It's, it's no, don't do that. You'll have nightmares. I, I'm sorry. I even, okay, so, but, but here's the thing is that Noel was dancing undignified, and I saw his dance, and I was like, come on, Jesus. If the church would just learn to boogie, if the church would just learn to step out of their comfort zone and praise him. Let me just say this. Everyone's like, well, I'm not comfortable with that. And, 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 and that's not comfortable for me. And that's not my style. Look, I'm telling you right now, the Holy Spirit is called a comforter to make you comfortable in uncomfortable situations. You don't need a comforter if you're never in uncomfortable situations. You don't need a comforter. I'm scared to share my faith at the grocery store. Well, that's why there's a comforter. He'll br- it's not, he's not a blanket. He's there to bring you comfort in uncomfortable situations. If you want more of an encounter with the Holy Spirit, might I just suggest that you get outside your comfort zone where he is required to show up to help you be comfortable. I'm going to put myself in awkward, uncomfortable, God-inspired situations so that the Holy Spirit is like, oh, I got I to gotta come over here and bring some comfort because it's who I am. So I want to give him every reason to draw close to me, amen, that I might be transformed. Moses was transformed by the presence of God, and I want to be transformed. So any excuse, anything in the word of God that says he will draw near to me, if I draw near to him, it says he will draw near to me. Anything that gets him to come close, I'm in. Let's go. Let's get a little more. And if it takes a little jig, right? If I, I mean, maybe you start with the Nazarene swirl. Maybe you just posture yourself in the right way, right? Small screen TV, big screen TV. Field goal, YMCA, raise the roof, right? Wash the windows, change the light bulbs. I don't care what your position is, okay? I don't care. You got the Nazarene. You got the, you got the Holy Spirit, the Pentecostal shuffle. That's what that one is, right? Anybody remember that one? We could do that. Some of you don't got enough rhythm for that. That's okay. So you just change some light bulbs. That's fine. 
Wash some windows. Some of you are like, I could do that. I wash the windows. I know how to do that, right? Some of you praise your house with your chores more than you do Jesus. There is nothing else in life that requires you to remain absent of, of, of effort, remain absent of movement. Why would our worship be this that way? If we're going to step into greater things, then we have to be prepared to celebrate what God has done. Do you think maybe, just maybe, God is waiting on his church to arrive at a place where they'll testify and celebrate what he's done so he can do it? If he's going to do it, he does not remain, want us to remain silent about it. We read a collection of manuscripts, 66 different books combined into one that we call the Holy Scriptures or the Bible that are all about telling what he did celebrating what he did, rejoicing over what he did. You know, the Hebrew word for rejoice actually connotates to jump. It means to jump. Some of you are like, oh, I rejoice. No, you don't. I've never seen you. I, mm -mm. Some of you are like, I don't have the knees for that. Fine. You can just kind of like, you know, just, just, just spring. Spring. Get the spring. That's all right, right? A little, little side spring and a little right spring. Some of you can do it. Some of you are more bold. Look, I, I want to tell you, I want to cast some vision because I believe what we're stepping into. I, I want to first talk about what we've done over the last six years and talk about what God is about to do in our church. Amen? Six years ago, we planted this church. Today, this is the day, six years ago. In fact, today, the 18th is, is, was the very Sunday that we began to dream and decide to plant a church. A year before that, we decided to plant a church and began to have meetings in my house, uh, and it grew to 45 people, and we're like, we have to plant a church, having meetings, but it was on September 18th of 2015 that we began to dream about the idea that God would have us plant a church. I want you to understand how that went down. Our first meeting was in Yukon, Oklahoma. Actually, it's that area of, of Yukon where it's Oklahoma City, Yukon address, uh, but Mustang schools, nobody wants to claim you, right? We're just... In that little no man's land, we felt like that's where we were, but God had placed us there, but he'd always told us Oklahoma City was where our heart was. You know, the very first beginning, the, you know, our first email address was OKC, our, our, uh, our, all of our media at the, at the time was, was Freedom Fellowship OKC, so we knew our heart was Oklahoma City. That's where we, where we wanted to impact and find that. But I want you to understand that when we planted here, how was I to know that the place that I was the worship leader and the youth pastor of that that church suddenly decided to close and said, hey, we're selling the building, two weeks is our last service, and that church decided to close rapidly. And I knew that God had called me to that place. I knew that God had asked me to be in that particular place, that God had an assignment for me. And it was out of that dying fruit, that dead church, that those seeds were planted in my home that birthed Freedom Fellowship Church. And that's really where it was birthed. And how interesting is it that on our, we start our seventh year of going into being a church. We begin our seventh year, the year of completion, less than two miles away from where that church died. Right on Western and 44th. And that's where God had brought us, right between 59th and 44th. That's where that church died. And God has brought us right back to the very community in which that seed died. I can't help but see God all over that. See, sometimes God wants to take you back to the very place that wounded you, the very place that hurt you in order to bring fulfillment and life in that. Sometimes we are so busy running from what hurt us that we never realize that God wants to heal the circumstance, not just remove you from it. 
Now, I'm not saying that we go back to places that wounded us or hurt us. I'm not back in that building. I'm not back at that place. But my calling did not change because the assignment blew up in my face. What I was called to was to endure until the breakthrough. And so God has brought us into that place. So six years ago, we took a bold step and planted a church. Six years later, we now have a large building. Yeah, we've been on TV. Yes, we've been in magazines. Yes, our team has traveled to the world. But no, none of those things actually mark our church as victorious. What marks us is the ones who have found Jesus in this house. Those who have found life, those who found identity, those who have found joy, found healing, found freedom, received healing, who have broken addiction and mended their lives. We set out six years ago on one mission statement. Help people to discover their identities and then empower them to live out their destinies. I think we've done that. So I want to thank all of you guys for helping us co complete this mission so far, but the best is yet to come. There's more for tomorrow, amen? And so I find it so ironic that most churches, as they celebrate a birthday, they do so with the carnival, right? They put up the bouncy houses, and they put up the, the games, and they put up the fun, and they put up the food, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's great stuff. But I find it so ironic that we didn't even realize what we were doing. We're in such a busy season that the calendar caught up to us quickly, and we went, oh, it's our birthday. Whoops. But God is so smart and of infinite wisdom that tonight on our birthday night and starting tomorrow, instead of having a carnival, we pitched a tent and we're going to have a revival. Amen. Come on. So God is so good that we're going to have a week-long revival and it just so happens that I'm speaking on day six of the revival. Huh. Six years, held in the revival, speaking on the sixth day. Wait. There's, there's not another six. We're okay. It starts at seven. You're right. Except tonight. Uh-oh. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> but God, in his infinite wisdom, calculated and coordinated all of this behind the scenes without us even catching on. Isn't God good how he prepares that? Our celebration will be in releasing revival over the city where we finally come together. One of the heart missions of this church has not only been to help you to discover your identity and then empower you to live out your destiny, but it has been to also bring unity to the body of Christ, to come together on what we agree upon. There's always doctrine we disagree. There always will be doctrine we disagree on but we can come together under the core principles of what we agree upon. And so many times the kingdom of God does not play well with each other. It's usually the kingdoms of man pretending they're for God. And we, and we believe they're for God. We just believe we, we, we know God better than they do. And so we don't play nice with each other. And the reality is, is that we should in order to see the kingdom advance, in order to see revival. So this revival marks 12 different churches coming together and partnering together to see it. Every night of the revival is a different local pastor, not a hired gun flown in, okay? No itinerant ministers from far away, famous names, none of that. This is our community leading and coming together, unified in the body of Christ to see a transformation in our society. In our culture right here. Hmm. So I'm excited about that. 
I, I can tell you this, that as a church, we've gone to other revivals. We partnered with a few and, and been taking place of that. And I can say one of the proudest things as a pastor is to watch my people really press in and worship the Lord and really set the example. I call us the shills because we show up and we bring an atmosphere and some of the other pastors are like, it's it, we hit worship, we've hit another level. And I'm like, no, those are just my people doing normal Sunday. It's, it's normal. I see one of yours got involved. And usually by the end of the night, like where it was just all of our people, by the end of the night, there's like five or six from different churches going, oh, let's lay on our face. That sounds fun. Right? Out in the dirt. So you know they caught it. Put down a carpet, it's fine. There may or may not have been rocks under the last one, but the carpet was there. But our people still laid down. They still worship. They still set an example, and it began to infect the other churches. We, we want to set an example of what it looks like to spend time in his presence and be in his glory. Amen? Amen? But we need to be a people that not only know how to worship, but know how to rejoice. There needs to be a, a coming together and remembering what God has done and then celebrating what he has done. There has to be a celebration. Some of us don't know how to party well. Okay, let me just put it that way. Right? I see my Jesus, you know, and he knows how to party. Okay? I like Jesus. He knows how to party. Amen? Anybody? Parting is not very godly. It's not, it's all throughout the Bible. Like we can celebrate what God has done. We can rejoice over what God has done. Let me just mess up your theology a little bit here, okay? David danced before the Lord. He says that he rejoiced before the Lord. We can find plenty of scriptures of what it looks like to celebrate. But so many times when we, we watch these old movies of Jesus and we see uh, the, the, the way he's portrayed, Come unto me, all my little lambs. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. You really think that's what Jesus acted like? You really think that that's what he was referencing when he was looking right at Mark, the tax collector, uh, excuse me, Matthew, the tax collector? He's looking right at him and he says, he says to him, he's like, don't be like the tax collectors staring right at a tax collector. You don't think everyone was like, <laughs> Just like that, too. Look, I'm telling you guys, the way you amen depends on how many I eat of those crickets. I'm going to eat some crickets. Okay? It's way better than eating crow. Uh, but the way in which we praise God, I believe that we need to understand how the kingdom of heaven works if we're going to apply it down to earth. Some of us are like, well, Pastor Ren, you're talking about revival, and revival is not anywhere in the Bible. The, books of, the reason why the book of Acts doesn't talk about revival is because they were in revival. There was no reason to ask for it to show up. The book of Acts is what we're talking about when we say revival. We're saying we want some more of what happens in the book of Acts. You, I want, who, who in here wants some book of Acts? Who wants a Pentecost to come down in this place? Hallelujah. I do too. The problem is, is I don't have 120 people willing to worship him for 10 days straight without ceasing that brings that in. If we can't worship him for 10 days in unison, coming together, praying, celebrating, and bringing the glory of God, how are we supposed to expect a wind to blow in? We haven't opened any windows. So we're going to have that opportunity with a revival for, for at least 10 days. Hallelujah. I'm expecting it to go 40. Hallelujah. 
Amen. And I got 12 pastors. None of us have to steward it by ourselves because that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not one man having to do all the work and one church to host it. I've been praying that revival would hit our city and it's going to take a lot of us to see that happen. Hallelujah. I think when we, when we come and find ourselves in his presence for 40 straight days, I believe the transformation that happens in the church will cause it to illuminate on our city and transform it too. I believe that's what's going to happen, but we have to learn how to press into his presence and how to praise and see if we understand the kingdom of God and how God operates in praise, maybe we would catch a clue. So I'm going to mess up your theology a little bit. How many of you guys have heard this, that it's not about the 99 in the church that Jesus will leave the 99 for the one, amen? Yeah, that's so true. That's so true, and we need to do that. And then Jesus goes on to say in that story right there in Luke, he says this. You, you, you've heard this said, that the angels in heaven rejoice when one comes into the kingdom. Have you heard that before? That's not in the Bible. That's actually not there. That's bad. That's a bad translation that we've kind of got into our theological minds. That's not actually what it says. Let me read you what it says in Luke 15. Verses six and seven, it says, and when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors saying unto them, rejoice with me. Somebody say rejoice. rejoice. For I have found my sheep, which is lost. Who found the sheep? Jesus found a sheep that was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over 99 and 99 just persons which need no repentance. And then we go on to verse 10, which gives us the verse that has, we, we've remembered wrongly. It says, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. It never says the angels are the ones rejoicing. It says the rejoicing is done in the presence of angels. I'm here to tell you the one rejoicing is not necessarily the angels. It's God himself that is rejoicing over one. It says he gets up in front of the angels and he begins to rejoice. He begins to dance. He begins to celebrate that one of his lost sheep has come home. And it says the saints join in with him. The same because how do we know this? Because the very next line is the story of the prodigal. It's the story of the father seeing his son far off and rejoicing and saying, because you have come home, we're going to celebrate. And he gets everyone else and says, kill the lamb, get him a coat, get him some shoes. We're about to celebrate. And he raises up the other household members and says, we're going to celebrate that my son has come home. I'm telling you right now, when a sinner comes home, God himself is the one throwing the party. Yeah, come on. In the presence of the angels, God is celebrating over your victory. He's celebrating over your transformation. He is celebrating over a lost sheep coming home. And it says to be like him, should we not also celebrate? Woo! Do you celebrate when one comes into the kingdom? Do you celebrate when your brother and sister gets a breakthrough? Do you celebrate when a healing happens? Are you celebrating what God is doing in your life and the life of others? Or do you only celebrate when he does it for you? Or can you not even get up and celebrate when he does it for you? God, I don't have anything to celebrate. You're alive. You got another chance. God's not done with you yet. You don't know the suffering I've gone through. Yeah, I know what suffering looks like. None of us are immune to suffering. None of us are immune to trial, temptation, 
trouble, sin. They, they all on this earth. The Bible says that in this world, we'll have many troubles. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. That deserves a celebration, amen? He's overcome the world. That means whatever you're going through is about to become a testimony. That means that because you have breath in you, you have one more chance to be able to testify of what God has brought you through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm about to come out of it and bring life to others. That's what I'm going to do. I'm about to have another good story. Oh, everybody loves a testimony. Nobody loves the test. Everybody loves a miracle. Nobody wants to need one. What do you do in the middle of your miracle? How do you rejoice in the middle of your miracle? Some of you are like, I need a miracle, but are you rejoicing as you take a step towards it? Or do you only rejoice if he does it in the rear view mirror? Can you only rejoice and praise God in the rear view mirror? Or are you somebody that trusts God, who lays down their life, who can raise their hand and say, Lord, I trust you. I surrender to you. And I might be in the middle of my process. I might be going from Egypt to the promise and I'm right here in the middle in the wilderness. And I don't know which way I'm going and I don't know how long I'm gonna stay here. But God, while I'm here, I'm gonna set up a tent and I'm gonna praise your name. See, that's what they did in the wilderness. While they were in the middle of their wilderness, going in circles, not knowing when their promise would come, leaving a land they knew and in the middle of a, trans, a transitional uh, a situation, in the middle of their transition is when they found transformation. In the middle of a desert season is where they found the presence of God. In the middle of that wilderness waiting, they found the glory of God and it shone on Moses' face. That happened in the middle, not in the promise. We're right in the middle. I don't know what you're in the middle of, but I know God wants to transform you in the middle of that. But here's what it takes to be transformed. You got to be the only one wearing to climb up to where God is and go where he's called you to be. So many of you sitting down at the bottom. See, the, there was a difference. Moses was in his presence while everyone else was waiting on Moses. They were waiting on a man instead of the presence of God. In fact, they had told Moses, you speak to God for us. He's too big and scary. So what happens is, is Moses gets in his presence and is transformed. When he comes back, the nation of Israel is worshiping a false god. You are susceptible to wrong teaching when you're outside of his face. I can tell you this, you find me someone that spends time in, in, with the face of God and I will find someone that I don't think their theology is blasphemous. You cannot be in his presence and be not corrected. The more you spend in the presence, the more you will understand the scriptures and you will get in right alignment with him. This is a good message today. So the next verse in that is the prodigal son. He says they'll be rejoicing in the presence of angels. Can you imagine God getting off his throne, looking over the rails, running to his son? Because it says that while the son was yet afar off, the father saw him and ran to him. And God saying, because you've come home, here's a coat, here's a ring, here's some shoes, and I'm slaughtering the calf. We're throwing a party. Hey, everyone else. Round up the saints, it's time to rejoice. Can you imagine that your loved ones and family before you that were saved, sanctified and filled, that are sitting in heaven waiting on you, are enjoying your birthday party? 
They're enjoying your birthday party when you come home. Ha. I hope there's no time in heaven the way we have time. So when I get up there, I get, in, I get there just in time for my party. That's what I think, right? I come home and then God begins to step up to say celebrate. And that's my entire lifespan. One foot, what footstep of him is my entire lifespan. And I step up as they rejoice and it's my birthday party. Come on, hallelujah, right? It says one day is a thousand years. So if I do that literal, carry the one, five, I should make it by at least step two. Hallelujah. See, when we're, when we're ingrained in the presence of God, when we make our life about it, it, being inha- inhibitor, or inhabitors of his glory, not inhibitors of his glory. See, too many people in the church are inhibitors of his glory, not inhabitors of his glory. I want to live in his glory. I want to live in the presence of God. I don't want to inhibit the presence of God. And I can tell you that right now is there are ways to inhibit the presence of God. It's called to, to reverse the order. It says that the enemy is overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The word of our testimony re- rejects the enemy. So that must be the complaint of our mouth brings the enemy closer. When we complain, when we're agitated, when we testify about the problem, we are testifying about the testimony of the enemy, not the testimony of Jesus. Oh, you don't know what I've seen this week. I talked to a pastor yesterday and he says, how are you doing? I said, I am blessed and highly favored. I said, I could complain, but I'm not going to. I said, I'm not going to. I testify what I did. I could complain. I could tell you some terrible stuff. I could tell you about a rough week, right? Most people are going to look at my situation as the glass is half empty. They're going to look and go, Pastor Ren, you own four cars and three of them are broke down right now. One of them got jacked in the parking lot. They stole parts off of it. They did. And then the very next day, someone called me up and says, hey, we want to bless the church. I won't tell you what that blessing is yet, but I can tell you it's, it's worth more than those three cars. Right? And someone said, what are we supposed to do, Pastor Ren? We need to take up a collection. We need to help you. And I said, well, that would be nice. I mean, I'm not against anybody helping me to do that. So I'm not put out by the repairs and stuff for that. That's okay. I'm okay with that. I said, but don't think I'm destitute and can't get it fixed without that. I said, if you want to bless me, do it because the Lord told you, I want to be a blessing to you, Pastor Ren. Not because, well, we got to help Pastor Ren. How else is he going to get his car fixed? I can't stand up here and tell you to live a victorious life if I can't even fix a car. If I am so destitute and one broken car away from broke, there is a problem with my theology, right? We're not in the prosperity gospel, but we're certainly not in the poverty gospel. Amen? In my weakness, he is strong. I'm not bragging about my strength. I'm bragging about his. I'm exalting what he's done for me, and he carries me through every situation. I got no worries. Because I'm drawing close to his presence. And when I'm close to his presence, there is a transformation that happens. You know, I can tell the difference when I withdraw from him. Right? Like the children of Israel gathered, making their golden calf. When I get away from his presence, situations begun to make me have a cow. Somebody, you need to look at your neighbor and say, stop having a cow. Where do you think that phrase came from? I'm just saying that today because um, somebody decided that Bryce was a catch and his mama knows his value. So she says, I'm going to need a dowry. 
So Crystal bought two blow-up cows and offered them to her as a dowry, two cows, in exchange for Bryce. I, I walked up to Bryce this morning, and I told him, I said, sir, you have been sold, it appears. It's a, uh, two cows is a deposit. I think he's valuable. He, he's a good, yeah, he's probably worth a couple of chickens. I would say a goat or two. And I'm thinking residual from the goat cheese and stuff and eggs, like that's going to need to continue to be paid. Yeah. Yeah, there, there needs to be some goats in there, right? So, so we want to see the power of God, but we want to see it transform people. So poor Bryce is a perfect sermon illustration today for what I wanted to talk about, uh, slavery to sonship. Right? So I didn't realize that Crystal was going to try to put him in slavery to get to sonship. She's like, I'm getting him to be a son. I'm a, so slavery to sonship, that's how it's going to happen. So right there, I have a perfect illustration of Jesus paying our debts. He paid our dowry. That works. Anybody following this with me? Is that all right? So... <laughs> Okay, everybody, if you would, we're going to go over the story from a book here that I think is an exceptionally amazing book in a very short capacity. We're going to turn to filet mignon. Everybody just turn to filet mignon. Filet mignon. Filet mignon. I was two days old when I found out it wasn't a uh, 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 Philemon. Yeah, I was two, day, two days ago. I was, I'm two days old. Two days ago, I found out. Yeah, that it's, it's Philemon or Philemon. It can be pronounced Philemon. Did anybody, did anybody just learn that with me? Right? I was always like Philemon. And I'm like, that's not it? That's not it. So filet, filet mignon, that's what it is. Because we're going to cut into this juicy meat of this story right here. So oh, see how I did that? Woo! Yeah, so we're going to talk about this. And I had, we studied this in our Bible school, and we went over this in the Bible school, and I had some people come to me, and they're like, I don't get this. I don't know why this is in the Bible. I'm not sure exactly what this means or what this verse says. And I said, are you kidding me? This is everything. Why is this canonized? Because in this is our story. I said, in fact, not only is this the story of the church, it's the story of this church. Let me just give you this idea. It's just this one small chapter that makes a book of the Bible. And we read about this idea that, that Paul is writing to, to Philemon, okay? Philemon, 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 there it is, okay? And he's writing to him and he's greeting him and some of the other believers and he's talking to him. And then what happens is, is that something interesting begins to take place here. He begins to talk about one of his spiritual sons in verse 10. It says, I beseech thee for my son, Onimus. Maybe some of you would say Onimus. Onesimus. Onesimus. Philemon. Okay. We'll just call him Neo. He's the one, okay? So here it is, his spiritual son, the one. 
Okay, his one spiritual son. It says here that I beseech you for my son. Okay, this is not Paul's physical son. And if you do the math of birth here, and, and it's not possible. This is not his physical son, right? We know at this point, Paul is not married. Um, but it says, and, and we can read on to realize why it's not his physical son, if you think that. But it says his begotten, okay, in another translation. In fact, let me switch here. I'm in the King James, but I want to read it to you out of the ESV because I think it will make it. Um, now, let's go with the NASD. 1995, which is a great translation, by the way, if you're reading that. I think it's one of the better ones. I appeal to you for my child, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. We're going to call him the one. Who formerly was useless to you. I want you to catch this. But now is useful both to you and to me. I want you to understand what's happening here. This man comes from this house church. In fact, we read about it that he's asking them to greet everyone at the house church above. So this man was originally in this house church and it says he was formerly useless to you. So he was gathered to, with this group of believers in a house. So we're not talking about thousands of people. And he was completely, can you imagine when I was in the house church, everybody was useful. It didn't matter how bad you sucked at it. We needed anybody that was breathing to do something, right? You could hold the camera like this as long as you were willing. At least we got it recorded. Like, it was the way it worked. If you could kind of play, you were welcome. Please help, help. We don't have anybody, right? And so everyone was useful, right? Everybody was a mister right now. And, but you, you see this, this guy here who is not useful at all to this house church he's found, and he's not even useful at all. And it says that Paul has now found use in him, and he's sending him back to the very place in which there was no use for him. I want you to catch what's happening here. It says later on here, it says, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. So this man not only is being sent back and has found value, but Paul says, I'd rather keep him here with me so that he can minister to me. This man had no value. And now to Paul, he's not he can carry out some acts. He can go on my behalf. He can do some secretary work. This man now ministers to me, the apostle Paul that you found no value in. Some of you are catching on already to what I'm talking about this morning. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything. In other words, he's saying, I wanted permission to send him back because there was some contention in this situation. I didn't want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsor, com, uh, compulsory, but of your own free will. So there's some situation here that had happened in this place with this gentleman. For perhaps he was the, re the reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord? If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. He's trying to tell him, this is me, and I'm saying this. I will repay it. 
Then he throws in a little extra, not to mention that you owe me to even your own selves as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, having confidence in your obedience. In other words, what he is saying is this. There is a need of honor in the body of Christ. And Paul is doing something that I believe is a great leadership model, is that when you don't have your own influence, the father above you, the leader above you, lets you use their influence. When I invite a pastor into this house and I ordain that pastor and I raise them up until they have their own influence, they carry my influence. They carry my name. Every one of my pastors in this place, if they have a pastor attached to their name, when they say something, I'm saying it. They represent my influence and my authority and my name in the ministry exactly as this. He takes this spiritual son who was a former slave. It says he was a slave and God took him from slavery to sonship. And he's gone from being a slave to being free in order to become a spiritual son of Paul. See, we're Freedom Fellowship Church. That's what we do. We set slaves free and we turn them into sons. That's what we do. We take the people that in their last place were overlooked, overspoken, unregarded, that had no identity, that were discarded, devalued, and we raise them up into freedom and we turn them into sons. There are people who are sitting here in this front row that at their last location, we're told you have no value here. You'll never lead a song. Pastor? You'll never lead a song. You're never even invited to lunch. You had no value. There are people here that when you came out of where you came out of, you were devalued. But here is a house where you find freedom and sonship. You become a son of the living God and raised up. This man had no value as a slave in the middle of a small group of people. But then he ends up ministering to the great apostle Paul. He goes from the, from the pit to the palace. He raises up. I'm telling you right now that if the place you are in did not value you, maybe you're in the wrong place. This is not a place where we cast you aside because you, were, you had a slave mentality when you first show up here. This is not a place that discards you because you are in bondage when you arrive here. This is a place that will break the shackles off. This is a place that will raise you up, change your mentality, change your heart, heal those wounds, birth you, and turn you into sons and daughters of a king who loves you and values you. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? That's the mission. That's the identity of Paul here. He's giving his influence away and sending that man. See, here's the problem. A lot of you guys want to show off to your old place. When you get a little healing or you get a little elevation or you start to do something, you want to get in front of everyone and say, look at me now, suckers. Eat my dust. Bible says, wipe my feet. Wipe it on you. That's what it says. Kick up the dust off my feet. Go on. You did not receive me does not say that Paul's spiritual son did that. It says Paul. Paul gave him the influence. Paul gave him the identity, and Paul sent him back. Some of you need to learn to remain low and humble and let spiritual fathers raise you up and release you. Let a spiritual father defend you instead of you defend yourself. If you decide to defend yourself every time someone defames you, you will do nothing but put out the enemy's fires. You are not called to be a firefighter you're called to be a fire starter. 
You are called to light things up for the kingdom of God. You are not called to spend all your time trying to defend your honor. If you have sat under and raised up leaders in the church and you serve them well and you're a good son and a daughter to them, I promise they're the ones doing your defending. There, there are people in this room right here that I have defended to other leaders in the body of Christ. They know who they are. To other leaders that when they met them, they didn't have any value. There was a conflict. There was a, 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 a broken relationship there. And they'll call me and say, how's that person doing? And I'm like, they're doing awesome. They're amazing. You should hear the way they've been prophesying lately. You should hear what's coming out of their mouth. You should see how God has just been using them. In fact, I think I'm going to send them back to you. They ain't ready yet. But one day, I'm going to send them back representing me. That's the goal. The goal is that I can send you right back to the person that you are in contention with that has not seen the value on your life. But I can tell you, if your goal is, you're going to send me back, and I'm going to show them I'm never going to send you back. Because Yeah, because you're not in the right place. See, it says that his son, the one, was a value to Paul. So much so that Paul said, I'd rather keep him here with me so he can keep ministering to me. See, all he did was try to serve and minister to Paul, and Paul decided he needed to be sent back to have some healing and fixing and regeneration in that situation. You are not who you started out to be. I can tell you this, is that one of the, the biggest lies in the world is this, is that he'll never change. She'll never change. That is one of the biggest lies. I don't care. Someone will say, well, they'll just never change. Here's the truth. The only thing that I know is constant in people is that they change. You are not who you were five years ago. You are not going to be the same person five years from now You are not that you are right now. You will change, whether that changes for the good or for the worse. That's up to you and how you handle. But I'm telling you right now that whatever you get around, you'll be transformed by. If you're in the presence of God, God will transform you. But if you're in the presence of the calf, then you're going to be changed. You will be changed. Whatever you put in your proximity will transform you. And I can guarantee you in five years, you will be different. The question is, will you be transformed in the image of God or the image of the cow? Transformed into something that's false or something that's righteous, something that's holy, something that's just. Are you going to be raised up and elevated or are you going to remain in the valley? Can I just say this? Pew sitting is the valley. Ooh, I'm going to turn around. I'm, I'm going to leave with that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I know. I know. I already felt the cold death stares. Moses was on an alignment with an assignment of God. The people were just waiting on the word. I want you to catch that. They're just waiting. They're not actively worshiping in the waiting. They're worshiping something wrong. And they get outside the view of God and they start to have a false image of God. I want you to understand what the scriptures say. People say, oh, they began to worship false gods. They begin to worship Baal. No, 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 they, no, they don't. No, they don't. They create a graven image, but the Bible is very clear that they are still celebrating and they say, they build this golden calf and then they look at it and they say, this is the God who took us out of Egypt. They're still talking about Yahweh. 
They think that they are worshiping Yahweh and they've created a a golden calf, an image of their God so that they have something to worship. Why? Because they rejected his actual presence and mankind requires something. So they build an image they can tolerate instead of the one that was scary. See, God comes down and says, I'm going to encounter my people. And they tell they, but Moses, you speak to God for us. That was too scary. We'll just build this other image. And what we've done in life is we're so scared of stepping out of our comfort zone and allowing God to draw close to us that we'd rather just build an image of who God is in our life and build an image that says he's fine with me just sitting by passively, never, never discovering my identity and empowering me to live out my destiny. So I will just keep worshiping this image of God instead of drawing close because it's scary what he's asking me to do. God wants you to get over your fear and realize that he is safe but dangerous. God has not called you into safety. He's called you into something, but it ain't safety. And so Moses spends so much time with God that there is a transformation that his outward appearance has been shifted and is glowing. The presence of God. Look, you need to be so ingrained in the word of God. You need to be so in love with his presence. You need to be so seeking after him. And it needs to be permeated inside of you. Have the word of God so ingrained in you that if someone cuts you open, it's the scriptures that spill out before any blood. Instead of every time someone cuts you, something else comes out of your mouth. Someone cut my truck. What spilled out of my mouth is my joy is not for sale, enemy. There's a price tag on the fix of my truck, but there is no price tag for my joy. You cannot steal my joy. You cannot have my hope. You cannot have my peace. You don't get an ounce of that. It's not for sale. And it's not up for grabs. You have no access to my joy. Yeah, you, you just hurt my wallet, and I'm going to figure out how you got access to that. I'm going to close that door, but you ain't getting anything else. I'm not going to give you five more minutes of my time. You're not going to get my mental faculties. You're not going to get my family. You're not going to get my hope. You're not going to get my peace. You're not ruining date night with my wife. You get nothing. If some of you would just recognize that, when you get into the presence of God, he'll transform you. Where all that outward stuff doesn't matter. Guess what? Here's the reality. Moses was glowing. It said he had to cover his face, veil his face. They weren't just afraid of the presence of God. They were afraid of the presence of God on Moses. There are a lot of people, a lot of Christians, a lot of believers that don't want to be in a place where the presence of God is because it puts shame on them that they're not glowing like you are. Glow anyways. Glow on, church. Shine your light. Hallelujah. The army of darkness doesn't like it. And if a Christian doesn't like the way you shine, you can figure out which army they're fighting for. They don't belong behind enemy lines. They don't belong behind enemy lines. They're professing Christ, but they're spying for the devil. I'm telling you we need to shine. Here's the thing. Moses had to cover his glory. He had to cover his glory. I'm telling you right now is that there's a covering over your life. God wants to be the covering over your life. He wants to cover you. The Bible talks about the covering of God, being under a house like this where we can cover you, protect you, build you up. It's a covering. It's a family. 
All right, every child needs a father. Every child needs parents to cover them, protect them, to raise them up and keep them safe. There must be a covering. But here's the reality. From the Garden of Eden, man was never meant to be covered by animal skins or material. We were meant to be covered by the glory of God. Moses didn't need any clothes when he was glowing. You couldn't see through it anyways. Some of you had to process that one. You should have shouted it, but you're like, wait, hold on. I got the glory. Whoop. No, don't do that. We saw that at Greater Things. We saw that at Greater Things. Some people wanted to sacrifice and lay down everything to the Lord. They laid it all down. Yeah. As Randy Clark said when he said, can I get a little help here? And he went on preaching while this man stripped completely naked because he wanted to give everything to God. He was a sweet man. He was a kind man. He didn't mean anything bad by it. He just was a little confused, okay? And, but he was going to lay down everything. And... uh Brian Blount, he went and got a flag and wrapped it around him and walked him out. And I'm watching Brian hug this man with nothing but a flag, walking out a naked man while hugging him. I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> Church is interesting today, folks. And you just hear Randy Clark, you know, as he's preaching, by him, power, glory of God. Thank God for the Brazilian flag. Hallelujah. <laughs> So we don't, we don't want to take the message today that literal, amen? So we want to lay some things down, but not everything. I'm getting the glory. I'm just being prepared. No, no, no. You, gotta, you don't have to cover the glory, but you got to cover your goodies. That's all I'm going to say, okay? Look, we're not a religious church, but when you come in here, you got to cover your goodies. I'm just saying right now, right? We're, I'm never going to make you wear a suit and tie, but if you walk in here and your goodies are showing, don't be offended if I say something. If I'm like, I don't want to see that, right? You're not making me lust, okay? I'm just going to do this right now. I, I told some people to, uh, the other day, I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to set some religious standard for what church, what we should wear and what we shouldn't wear. But I'm saying right now, instead of telling you, like, I don't know that that's appropriate for church, I'm just going to wear what you're wearing. We're going to see if you like it. So if you're wearing something you don't want to see me in, stop. Just stop. Stop. I'm just saying. See, some of you are laughing because you're like, he's right. I don't want to see him. What I, I should stop wearing that. I, I'm not talking about gender specific, okay? I'm not talking about gender specific. You can wear a dress. I'm not wearing a dress. That's not what I mean. <laughs> okay? I'm just saying, I'm, look, I'll say things. That, look, we're not the same kind of church, okay? There are thoughts in my mind that say don't say that, and then I say it anyways. I'm like, no, that's funny. I'm saying it right there, okay? So I don't want to see your girls. You don't want to see my boys. That's how it's going to work, okay? Oh, Keep it to yourself. <laughs> Some of you right then, the new people are like, I found my church. Thank you, Jesus. I found my church. 
Some of you are like, I don't know about this church. Look, we're not a religious church. We're a church that inhabits the glory of God, okay? And you don't have to trade personality for power. There is nowhere the word says that. We are called to be celebratory. We're called to rejoice in all things. The Lord is a God of joy. He's a God of happiness. In fact, the Bible even tells us there's laughter in heaven. Someone's saying, why are they laughing? Because they just overcome an enemy. Because the word of God says that he laughs in the presence of his enemies. That his enemies become his foot stole when he laughs. Some of you need to realize we're not just being hokey pokey or crazy. When someone breaks out in laughter, it means the enemy just became a footstool for them. They just broke out of something that's been caging them too long. Freedom just came in and joy of the Lord showed up and says, I will laugh as I destroy your enemy. Guess what? They just woke up victorious. Amen. They just rose up. So roll on the floor and beat your enemy. Jump up and down and rejoice and see the enemy crushed under your feet. Hallelujah. Can I get the worship team back up here? Amen. So we're going to rejoice for a minute. We're going to learn to be transformed in the glory of God. We're going to learn how to inhabit his presence. We're going to learn to be people that rejoice. Amen. If you want revival, it's because you went to sleep and you need revival. Revival starts right here. It doesn't start out there. You can't go to a revival to catch revival. You are revival and you bring it. Either you glow or you don't. Hallelujah. There's either a glow on you or there's not a glow on you. And God wants us to rejoice with him. God wants to celebrate. So before we get into this moment, I'm just going to say this real quick. If there is someone in here, I don't know if you're new or if it's time for you to get right with Jesus. You came into this place and you said, I don't know this Jesus that turns my sorrow into joy. I don't know this Jesus that breaks me free of all the suffering and heartache I've gone through. That is my hope of glory. I don't know this God that can transform me, but I want to know this Jesus who died and rose again so I could be transformed. Maybe you say, I, I know this Jesus, but I have not let him transform me. I don't shine like him. I am far from him. And I need, like a prodigal son, I need to come home. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Come on this morning, one of you guys. Hallelujah. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. If you're online, say Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me say this. When we rejoice in a moment, we're rejoicing for you. We're rejoicing over you. We're coming to your new birthday party where you say, I'm transformed and I'm changed. If you would say this, you say, I, I know Jesus, but I have not been in his presence like I need to. I am not glowing like he wants me to. I know I don't rejoice like he wants me to. I know I let the world's situations get to me more than I should. I allow them to put me under. I'm too focused. Look, six years of breakthrough and transformation in this church. It did not come easy. It came with heartache, betrayal, backstabbing, suffering, hurt, pain, fear, anger, resentment. It came with all of that, but I don't focus on any of that. I'm looking at glory to glory, not glory, 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 glory to glory. I'm focused on his glory. And if you've been caught up in the glory too long, I want you to stand up right now because we're going to break you free, free of all that glory if you haven't been carrying his glory. If you're too focused on the negative, then I want you to stand up. Hallelujah. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I declare that we are not prodigals. Come on, just tell them I was a prodigal, but now I'm home if that's for you. If that's for you, you tell them I was a prodigal, but I'm coming home, Jesus. I make you everything. I get in your presence. I give you my life. Tell them. Tell them. You don't need me to walk through a prayer. There's no sinner's prayer in the word. You just tell them you're my king. 
you're my Lord and I surrender everything to you. Lord, would you transform me? Lord, would you change me? Lord, would you just set me in motion to praise you? We want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom.